Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, it is just a great privilege to be here. Virginia is very sorry uh, she's not here. She came down with some sort of a virus. Uh, she just coughs continually and didn't think that would be very welcomed as she was trying to speak. Uh, but I just called her when, we get, when I got up here. I said, I am so sorry that you're not here. It's such a beautiful area, and uh, we love being with you in January. And um, those of you that were here, we want to thank you for your kindness. We were supposed to speak uh, that Sunday, and yet because of a very tragic uh, death and funeral in California, we left and uh, flew out to California uh, Sunday. So thank you for your kindness to us in, in so, so many ways. And um, we look forward to uh, this subject today, or I am thankful to be able to be here and speak about this. The gospel works for relationships. Uh, when you hear that phrase, some people will say, really? I mean, it doesn't seem to be working in my life. I mean, I, I'm single. I want to be married or I'm married. I want to be single. Uh, you know, it, it, or we're married, we're struggling. It doesn't seem to be working, but I trust by the end of the three hours I have with you this morning that um, there really will be a sense that, uh, and we will become more convinced than ever that the gospel does work. You know, when we're talking about uh, any area, we often go to the person who designed that area, who knows the most about it. And one of our dear friends is a man named Doug McRae, and Doug is a designer of Miss Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man is the highest-selling video game of all times, and whenever we have a question about Miss Pac-Man, we call Doug, because he designed it, and Doug knows how it works. And when we ask Doug a question, he doesn't give us the wrong answer, or he's not resentful. He's very happy because he wants us to enjoy Miss Pac-Man in the way it was designed to be enjoyed. And so today we come to this subject of relationships, and we're going to look at the designer of relationships and what Jesus had to say about this. So uh, Matthew 19, 3 through 12, is where we find Jesus talking about relationships. Let me read. And the Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, uh, and tested him by asking, is it lawful for one to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. I've just read from the greatest book that's ever been written, and I declare to you that all of its words are true. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to your house with your people today. And we desire to honor you today. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us today a word of encouragement or um, advice, whatever we need to hear from you. And so we commit ourselves to you in complete dependence with expectation of what you will do in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. Well, since Jesus invented marriage, let's uh, look at what he has to say about it. The first thing that Jesus says, it's a question uh, that he says, what's the return policy? See, that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're coming to him and saying, uh, can you divorce anyone for any reason? In essence, what's the return policy? And this is what uh, Jesus says, because it says, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, during that time, the Hillelite rabbis said the term any cause could be used for any cause. Some of you may have smelt a little smell in the church this morning. It's because I was burning toast. This is a reason for divorce. If your wife burnt toast, you could divorce her. And that was legitimate, according to the rabbis. Didn't fix a good meal. Divorce her. Aren't you glad we don't live in such a time? That, you know, you have a bad day. Divorce. This is how it was. And that was endorsed by the rabbis. You may laugh at this, but there are cases that are as absurd today. A 34-year-old young man filed for divorce from his 28-year-old bride just days after the wedding, after he saw her for the first time without makeup. True story. Apparently, the man felt that his wife had deceived him with cosmetics, including false eyelashes. The deception was discovered when the two went to the beach together and took a dip in the ocean, which washed away the cosmetics. Maybe burnt toast isn't so weird. A Japanese couple who had been married for six years, the movie Frozen came out. And this was a deal breaker. After watching it together, the husband said, did you really think that was that good? Well, apparently she did. And the fact that she could not even ask that question made her question what sort of a person he was. And she couldn't let it go. And she moved out. You know, it's not just burnt toast. Not just a bad meal, but the rabbi said you could divorce your wife if she got wrinkles. <laughs> That's something to look forward to, right? And, but it's even worse than that. The rabbi said you could divorce your wife if you found somebody you liked better than your wife. Can you believe living in a culture where people leave their spouse because they find somebody they like more? Can you imagine that? Well, maybe the Bible actually has something to say to us. Because we're doing that regularly today. We call it incompatibility. Irreconcilable differences, the number one reason for divorce. My wife and I are totally incompatible. I and mean, we are so different. Every day we realize we're different. Yesterday, she said, you know... Could you clean while you cook? 
I mean, why does it look like a bomb went off whenever you finish in the kitchen? She cannot conceive the way I live life. From a human standpoint, we're incompatible. Jesus is going to speak to this whole subject today. So Jesus' first response, and that is, what does the gospel say? What does the gospel say? He, Jesus, said, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female? Now, Jesus doesn't say, well, what do your emotions say? Or what do your hormones say? Or what does your therapist say? Or what does Dr. Phil have to say about that? Jesus just very simply says, have you not read? Have you not read? And as we talk about relationships and marriage, I just want to acknowledge from the start that for some of us, this is painful. We've, we've gone through divorce. We're in difficult relationship. And in no way do we want to minimize the, the hurt that some of us have experienced there. But I want you to hear my heart this morning. We can't redo history, but we can affect the future. So don't go backwards today and you're thinking, ah, oh, he should have, or why did he, or why did she? Let's go forward saying, what could we? And listen to God's word in that way. What does Scripture say? Now, if I only had five minutes this morning, which fortunately I have three hours, but if I only had five minutes, this is all you'd need to know. What does Scripture say? Because all you need to know about relationships is found in Scripture. There are a lot of helpful books. There are other things that we get from speakers and all of this, and that's helpful. But all of it comes back. We just were in Denver with a couple. In fact, that's where Virginia got sick from their children. Five in their family came to Christ without ever having even heard of him. I mean, it was just a remarkable experience. And the the 10-year-old boy said to me, Paul, does the Bible tell you what to do about everything? And I said, well, yeah. He said, so, like, can I get a piercing? And... And he starts going, I said, well, listen, it doesn't say specifically about everything. Like, for instance, it doesn't say that you can't call your sister stupid. But it does say only say things that are upbuilding to one another. So in principle, God's word says everything we need to know about relationships. It's a great theologian, Mark Twain, who said this. It's not the parts of Scripture I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. We love to argue about things that we don't understand, but there's plenty of Scripture that is just so crystal clear. And God's word must be our final answer on everything. That's what Jesus is saying. Have you not read? Go back to the book. You have a question on something? See what God's word says. But that's... Hard, because often we put other things ahead of Scripture, do we not? Like we put our emotions. Well, it just feels right. You know what Scripture has to say about emotions? The heart is deceitful about all, above all things, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You know, our emotions fluctuate. Do they not? So if you're going to follow your emotions, it's sort of like my dad, 
years ago was uh, working on a boat in the Los Angeles Harbor. He worked all night on this old inboard boat, and we're going over to Catalina Island, which is 26 miles due south. He was so tired in the morning that he asked one of the students, college students on board, will you take the boat over? I'm just going to go to sleep here. I'm so exhausted. He said, just go due south and you'll hit the cove. Exactly. Okay. My dad woke up a little while later. It seemed like they were going the wrong way. And he got up. He just felt that it was wrong with the waves hitting. He looked at the compass and the compass was no near, nowhere near south. And he said to the student, what are you doing? He said, well, Mel... He said, I know you said watch the compass, but the compass was sort of bobbing around a little bit. But there was a cloud that was due south, and it was easier to just sight the cloud. And so I've been following the cloud. Went to USC, but that's okay. Uh, it, you go, how idiotic. That's what we do. We follow our emotions. Oh, this is how I feel today. This is what this much God must want me to do. This is... I, have you not read? Uh, or our experience. We follow our experience. I'm convinced today that most of our theology is determined by our experience. Uh, they seem like such a nice couple. How could they be in crime? Uh, they, 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 they're raising their children. What could be wrong with them? Instead of coming back to Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? Um, hormones. We trust our hormones over Scripture. A dating couple who is physically involved inappropriately say, but we love each other. And I know Scripture says not to be involved physically before you're married, but God doesn't know what he's talking about. We love each other. Literally, uh, yesterday I was talking to a Christian couple who met online, and they're sleeping with each other within the first month. Now they're coming to us for counseling. They got pregnant immediately, got married, and she's in our office yesterday saying, I don't even know this man. Duh. Both Christians, but they knew better. See, if we just keep coming back to have you not read, it may not agree with your emotions, your hormones, your experience, but can we just trust God? And so as we talk about this whole area of the gospel, and if it works, we have to start with understanding the gospel and keep coming back to it. And just like our friend, Mr. Pac-Man, he wants us to understand how to play so that we can experience the game fully. God wants us to understand the gospel so we can live fully. And when we don't, we are not going to enjoy life in relationships as he's designed it. Have you not read Years ago, there was a phrase, some of you remember it, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Do you remember that? It was a great phrase, wasn't it? But recently, I've been thinking, it wasn't such a great phrase. Because there's a phrase in that phrase that needs to be deleted. It's not the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because it really doesn't matter what you believe. It's the Bible says it, that settles it. Do you follow that? It's not my opinion you know, we'll get up, oh, God's so good, it's a beautiful day. You know what? If it was a raining day, God's still good. Thank you very much. It's not up to you to determine whether God is good. The Bible says it, I believe it. So what's Jesus say about marriage? Well, the first thing he says is that marriage is a new priority. Marriage is a new priority. 
Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother. Leave, cut. That's what that word means. It means leave, means cut, sever, abandon. Not relationally, but as far as your allegiance. If you're married, you now have new priority. It's not mom and dad. It's each other. In fact, the only human oneness relationship is the marriage relationship. You're never called to be one with your job. You're never called to be one with your children, even. I think children are great. We had three of them. We still do. Uh, God gives them to you, and then you kick them out. You're never called to be one with your children. Uh, this is the priority, is everything else is underneath your relationship with Christ first, and then your marriage, if you are married. Anything or anybody that threatens that relationship, we need to do away with it. Or change it, curtail it, so that it doesn't affect our marriage. Uh, for, we were counseling a couple, and they said, we're just drifting apart. We don't like each other anymore, Mar- you know, blah, blah, blah. And we said, well, tell us about your day. They said, we never have time for each other. They said, well, we both work it out at the gym two hours every day. So that's separately. So that's four hours of the day every day. So we never have time for each other. We said, what would happen if you worked out at the gym every other day or an hour and actually had breakfast with each other? I don't know. You know, I personally had to give up going to the gym for the sake of marriage. You know, I mean, it was just it was consuming me. So I said, I love you more than the gym. And here I am today. So. uh Anytime anything starts taking precedence over marriage, you've got to look at it. We deal way, way, way too much for people that are involved in infidelity. And we don't have time to go into this, but let me just put the cookie on the lowest shelf very clearly. If you are married and you ever start looking forward to being with somebody of the opposite sex other than your spouse, you have to curtail or end that relationship. It's pretty simple. If there's somebody at work, the opposite sex that you start enjoying having coffee with and talking with, and you start feeling close, quit having coffee. Get another job if you have to. Uh, this marriage relationship has to be the priority. Second, marriage is permanent and holds fast to his wife. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. This, this phrase here means to be glued together. Uh, you glue something together in such a way that you cannot separate it without tearing. This family of five that just came to Christ, uh, it was just so moving to be there because a year ago the father said, I'm leaving, I'm divorcing, and walked out of the house. And we're meeting with the kids, and they're just smiling. He said, Mom and Dad are together. Why? Because you can't, you can't divorce without ripping something. So God says it's a permanent relationship. We have couples come in and say, you don't expect us to just stay married for the sake of the kids, do you? Yeah. Yeah. But we don't like each other. Well, I'd work on that then. We can't stand each other. Well, I'd work harder on it. We're enemies of each other. The Bible says love your enemies. Okay, let's go. Why would we do something we know is harmful to those we love? That's why Scripture is so clear. The two of you have come together. And again, let me say there are situations where one party walks out or will not be repentant, has been unfaithful or deserted. 
Uh, and we'll talk about that a little later. God makes provision for that. But too often we're walking away for things that are not worth walking away for. Are you praying to see if it's God's will for you to get involved with somebody else? Save your breath. Save your breath. God's word is clear. Have you not heard? Have you not read? God's in the business of reconciliation and of permanence. Third, marriage is a paradigm shift. The two shall become one flesh. And then it's, uh, which sounds great, we love that. Then it has this phrase that doesn't fly very well today. So they are no longer two, but one. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm married, but I'm still myself. Well, yeah, it's not saying you don't have any abilities or gifts or passions or dreams. But what it does say is when you get married, the two become one. All of your decisions go through the grid. Is this helpful or going to hinder our marriage? Because the two become one, they are no longer two. You are no longer able to make decisions just for yourself that won't affect each other. Because Scripture said the two of you are one. Speaks of emotional connectedness. It also speaks of physical connectedness in the sexual union. The only place for this union is within marriage. Only married people can really make love with each other. Because making love, love is always doing what's best for the other person. And if you're a Christian, loving somebody would not be doing that which is forbidden in Scripture. See, we have a way of twisting things, do we not? And God says, no, I want the best for you. And, and this is how it goes. It's leave, cleave, become one. It's a very simple one, two, three. Leave, leave mother and father, become independent, cleave, have the marriage ceremony, you're committed, and then go at it. It's leave, cleave. It's very simple. But it doesn't always work. We struggle. And so divorce is talked about. Jesus talks about divorce. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, but from the beginning it was not so. See, see, God allowed divorce because he realizes that there are times where that is the lesser of two evils, and he's doing that to protect the one instead of have the one stay in that relationship that is really harmful. Because God cares for us deeply, and he has provided that. But it's not the first. From the beginning, this was not the design. I never designed it. Divorce is only allowed for, pro- for protection from issues caused by sin. And then marriage is tough. <laughs> that can a surprise to any of you who got married. I mean, we get married thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. And find out it's more like eating spinach, you know. I mean, it's, it, it's good for you, but it's kind of tough sometimes. And... It's tough. The disciples realize this when they hear Jesus talking about it. It says, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And if you're not married, how many of you are not married in here? Okay, If you're not married and you're thinking about getting married, think about it really carefully. Really carefully. You want to make sure you're marrying somebody who loves Jesus, loves his word, and is going to help you grow in that. 
our daughter, Julie, our youngest daughter, was in Africa, Uganda, uh, doing an internship when she was 23, and she met uh, a man there named Derek. And they developed a relationship over the six months that she was in Uganda. Julie wrote us an email one day and said, when I'm with Derek, I grow closer to Christ. That's what I wanted more as a dad than anything to hear that. It didn't hurt that he was the executive director of a neurological pediatric hospital. But the main thing was, <laughs> when I'm with Derek, I grow closer to Christ. Uh, if you're dating somebody, anybody dating somebody right now? Okay. Well, here's the deal. I know you're, now you're scared. You're not going to raise your hand. But here's, here's the deal. If you're dating somebody, you have to ask the question, is he helping me grow closer to Christ? And if he isn't, dump him. Did you hear that? Dump him. Because the only person that you should be involved in is somebody who's helping you grow closer to Christ. Second most important decision. If you're married, marriage is tough. How do you make marriage work? You know, in the, in the Christian community, the divorce rate, unfortunately, is very similar to those who do not claim Christ. And some are staying married just miserably because they don't think they should divorce. God's plan is so much better than that. But, and he's given his, some directions in his word, but it's sometimes tough. Husbands, it's not that complex. Love your wife. That's what scripture says. Husbands, sacrificially love your wife. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. Yeah. Spoke at a men's conference. A man came up to me after and said, die for my wife? Absolutely. It's living with her that's killing me. <laughs> husbands, you're called to love your wife sacrificially, period. It doesn't say husbands love your wife as long as she's loving you well. As long as she's meeting all your desires. It just says husbands love your wife. Helper needs to be put above your needs. Make her feel cherished every day. That's, all, that's what you're called to do. Wives, quit picking on your husbands. Quit being so daggone negative. It, it, it's not the end of the world if they don't clean the counter the way you like it cleaned. Encourage him. Respect him. It doesn't say... Wives, submit and respect your husband as long as he is. It just says, wives, submit and respect your husbands. Now, we're not talking about sinful behavior. Make sure you understand that. But most of the stuff that's going on is not sinful behavior. In fact, the book that Dan just referred to, it's Loving Your Wife Like Christ When You Ain't No Jesus. And the reason I wrote it is because most men have tattooed across their forehead disappointment. They know their disappointment to their wife. She lets them know that pretty much every day in some way. They're pretty sure they're not the right husband they sh or father they should be to their children, their disappointment there. And they're pretty sure God doesn't think much of them. So we walk around. It's a book called How to Have Ordinary Help. And there's a, there's a bonus chapter for wives because you bought the book for them anyway. So, uh, 
so I say, since you bought this book, why don't you read this chapter? It'll help you understand what I just spent ten chapters saying. You won't negate it all that way. Um, there is an enemy. If you're married, there's an enemy. And there's a bullseye on your back. And Satan is doing everything he can to take you down. Because if he can take the marriage down, he affects the children, he affects the community, he affects the world eventually. So Satan has a bullseye on him. Don't partner with him. Partner with each other against him. Every so often, Virginia and I will have a lively discussion. And somewhere one of us will say, you're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, and he's using you very effectively right now. <laughs> but you're not the enemy. He is. And we've got to fight together against the enemy. And then marriage decisions are to further the kingdom of God. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. You know, the, whenever we teach on marriage, we trust that couples will start feeling closer together, will enjoy marriage, will have more of a relationship that is what they always desired. But that's not the end of why we do this. It's nice to have a happy marriage, but the real reason to have marriages is so that we honor and glorify God. Because marriage is a reflection of the Trinity, of the Godhead. And there's unity in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equal, but really different. But they work together in unity. Husbands and wives, really different. As I said, Virginia and I couldn't be more different than each other. But I'm so thankful for her because of who she is. And it brings, I mean... You may not know this, but I'm an introvert. That means I'm what's called a professional extrovert. That means I act like I like you, but I don't. Um, but, no, what it means is little groups of people, that's so tiring to me. Why? I hate going to those things. Virginia loves it. So I just soon be home. In fact, driving up today, you know, three and a half hours by myself, oh, it's glory. I love it. I love being by myself. But I'm thankful I married Virginia because the only reason we have friends is I'm married to Virginia. Do you see what I'm saying? You, you celebrate who we are and why. Because in the, in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all different. But they work together. And our marriages were different. But boy, if we could start celebrating our differences rather than harping on our differences... It makes the world a difference. Um, Virginia's a detailed person. I'm not. We flew to California uh, about a month ago to speak. And I ended up being at, at the Genius Bar for Apple Computer until literally five minutes before I had to get home and we drove out. So I wasn't totally packed because I'm sort of a last-minute guy. And I threw everything in and got on the plane and we got there, and I go, oh, man, these jeans. I can't speak in these. And she said, yeah. I mean, they're ripped. They're dirty. 
you can't speak at this conference, major conference, in these. You need some new jeans. California, you have to wear jeans if you speak. That's how it is. So, uh, so I go to Costco and get my fourteen ninety nine jeans. Now, you know what Virginia was thinking? <laughs> Do you know how many jeans you have in the closet that look just like these? And you just spent fourteen ninety nine on another pair of jeans instead of being an adult and packing the right jeans. But you know what? Maybe 30 years ago she would have said that. She didn't say anything. I knew she thought it. Because she hasn't forgotten anything in her life. But she didn't say it. And you know what struck me that day? It's fourteen ninety nine. She could have ruined our day for fourteen ninety nine. And there are a lot of people who do that. They get on somebody and they just won't let it go. Why can't you be responsible? Why can't you be an adult? Why? If somebody said to you, would you give me $15 today to have a day with tension-free day? That's the best $15 you ever spend. And it just struck me that sometimes instead of saying, this is just who God has given me, and I'm not talking about irresponsible behavior, sinful behavior, but just how we're wired differently. We want to honor God's kingdom. Does the gospel work for relationships? You bet it does. You bet it does. I wish I could take a half hour and tell you the story of this couple, this family who came to Christ. But it's like a family that got dropped from Mars onto Earth. They knew nothing. They know nothing about Scripture. We're, they heard a song called The Lion and the Lamb. They said, what's that about? What's a lion and a lamb? What did, why did they lie together? What? They knew nothing. But their lives have been transformed. Why? Because the gospel does work. The gospel works. The gospel gives us a roadmap to follow. Have you not read? It provides forgiveness when we get lost. Recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. Isn't that great? When we get lost, there's forgiveness. It directs us back to the road so that we can head the right direction. It allows us to see and experience life in a way that's extraordinary. Because the more we live according to design, the better we're going to live. And then it helps others want to know how the gospel could work for them. Virginia and I were invited to speak in Hawaii, and we did the Christian thing. Here I am, Lord, send me. And uh, so, just for ministry's sake, we went to Hawaii. And we always go a week early because we feel it's good to get a sense of the culture before you speak. And we don't want to just drop in. And then we try to stay a week after to just sort of help people assimilate what we've said. And so we're swimming on the big island in this lagoon. And there are a hundred turtles. And we both love turtles. And we're swimming. I'm taking pictures of Virginia swimming with turtles. She's taking pictures of me swimming with turtles. We come back and we're showing these pictures. And you know what everybody says? Where was that? I want to see that. How can I do that? This is what this is talking about today. When we live relationships according to God's design, people can say, 
why are you guys so happy? Why did your why did your daughter ask you to come to Boston to see them when they're laying over? What what's going on? And you can say, let me just tell you. I, I happen to believe in scripture and there's a design for how we live in relationships and that's my ability. I'm following that and I have somebody who's forgives me when I mess up and and you can have that too. Isn't that a great privilege? Incredible privilege. Let me close with this from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, it's not we expect too much from God. It's we don't have a clue what God wants for us. And the more we get into God's word, the more we trust him. And the more we do what God has called us to do, in the words of the great theologian Bill Belichick, do your job. Do your job. We do a weekly Bible study with the Patriots, and they, it's do your job. He doesn't say, look and see what you're, the guy next to you is doing. Look at this. He just says, do your job. And if we as husbands would do our job, you as wise would do your job. I think we're going to find that God is going to give us a little more of the desires that we always had. And he's going to use us to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how very, very practical it is. And we thank you that you are the designer of relationships. And because of your word, uh, the gospel does work. And I pray that we will be those who believe it, first of all, who uh, Immerse ourselves in your word so that we know what your word says and then live out your word. Not just so we'll be happier, not just so we'll have better marriages and better families, but ultimately so that we will live in such a way that a watching world will see that the gospel does work. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.